Romans 13, you've been in Romans, right? My favorite book. Well, I have 66 favorite books. <laughs> and <laughs> I praise God for that. By the way, there's something wrong with this congregation. I have not seen something like this for a year and a few months. The church is full. <laughs> something is wrong. And I can see your smiles. I've been in other churches where everybody is covered up. And one is here, one is there, one is there. I praise God for this church because we live by faith. Amen? Hallelujah. I can't go over the whole chapter, but there's a little passage which I pray will wake you up. Who's asleep? I see you smiling, you're alert, wonderful praise this morning, worship. Who worshiped Jesus today? <laughs> Magnify the Lord, glorify the Lord. As I was raising my hands and praising the Lord and I wanted to scream and shout, I just couldn't contain myself. Jesus is so good to us. Isn't he good to us? He's so good that he's patient with us when we're asleep. And he's sending me here to wake you up. <laughs> that's not my words, that's in Romans. <laughs> that's in Romans, take it from the Lord. And uh, it's a small passage at the end, verse 11. It starts with these words, and do this. Everybody say it. And do this. Lord, what do you want me to do? Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. While we may not think we are slumbering, we're awake in certain ways, but we're asleep in certain other ways. We love to glorify the Lord, come together and worship Him. While we were singing that song, a verse popped into my head, which was not in my notes. Do we allow the Holy Spirit some leeway there? John 15, verse 8, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Are you bearing fruit? We glorify the Lord through song, but we glorify the Lord through our life and our words, our witness to bear fruit for the kingdom, to draw people to Jesus. That's what he means. So, and do this understanding the present time. How many of you watch the news? Probably today. How many watch the news today? Or read it or or heard about it, well, you probably were still asleep. I don't think we should be watchers of the news. The church makes news. We need to make news, not just watch the news. And the way Jesus wants us to do it is to understand what is going on in this world, not from the point of view of that little screen in your home or big screen, not through the worldly eyes, but through his eyes. 
So today I want to share with you a few things in regard to understanding our times. But let me finish this paragraph and then start. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We're getting the closure is coming. Jesus is coming. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Amen. I have four sides. One, two, three, four. So I have four points. <laughs> one for each one of you. <laughs> First of all, we need to understand the turmoil that the world is going through today. Is there turmoil? Is there war? Is there economic unrest? Social disintegration? Moral disintegration? Do you see it happening? You know the term entropy. It's happening in every area and all over the world. I come from Lebanon. My name is, by the way, George Husni. I was born and raised in a Muslim city called Tripoli in the northern country of Lebanon, in the north of the country of Lebanon. I was nine years old when our house was completely demolished, destroyed. But thankfully, my mother had the urge to leave and drag us into the street the day before the building was completely destroyed. And we began, we became refugees. Inside Lebanon, but far away from our home. And we were there for eight months until Eisenhower ordered the Marines to come and, and stop the war in Lebanon, thankfully. Thank you, America. I can't always thank America for what they're doing around the world, but in this case, I do. <laughs> it benefited me. And so I am a child of war, and I have seen war after war in Lebanon. Civil war, Muslims attacking Christian homes, burning their homes. My house was destroyed in my 20s as well, not only when I was nine. So I have seen bloodshed in my own eyes. And I've seen the deterioration of the country of Lebanon, which is today the worst it's ever been in the hundred years of our history. Since the fall of the Ottoman Empire, we were under the Ottomans until 1918, when the French and the British, together with their allies in Europe, US, and Canada, um, pretty much destroyed the Ottoman Empire and put an end to it. And Lebanon gained its independence and uh, it's the worst it's been today. However, we need to understand God's view of the turmoil. Haggai chapter two, verse six. Maybe someone knows that verse. If anybody has heard the Messiah, you've heard it sung. It says, I will shake. You want me to sing it? And I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, 
and I will shake what the nations. I'll shake the heaven, the earth, the sea, and dry land, all nations, and then, and the desired of the nations shall come. God says, I will shake all nations. Nations are being shaken today. Even in America, there's so much shaking of our values, of our political system, so much shaking. And there's so much insecurity and question mark about what's going on, what's going to happen in this world. And there's a purpose for that. From God's perspective, every time there's been a shaking of a country in my own lifetime, in my own experience, there's been a revival of the church. I don't rejoice over the destruction of homes, killing of people. Of course, there's a sad side to it. But God turns something evil, what Satan meant for evil, God turns it for good. Amen? Yes. There wasn't a strong amen, so you're not sure. <laughs> you're not sure. But I hope by the end of my sermon you will be sure. Because God is really reviving and adding to his church those who are being saved on a daily basis around the world. So the turmoil is one way we need to understand from God's perspective that the shaking of the nations is meant to the desired of all nations will come. Who is the desire of all nations? Jesus is the desire of all nations. And he is coming in a powerful way around the world. You will not hear that on CNN, not even on Fox or any other news. But you've heard it right here in Crossroads in this wonderful gathering. Amen? You've heard it. God is working. The second point is for you. <laughs> there is a biblical history of scattering and gathering. And that history, we, have, we are seeing it today in the shuffling of nations. People from every nation and tribe and language are coming to the United States. They're coming here to Grand Rapids. I was last week in Dearborn. I was on the park on Friday night and Monday night. And Muslims were all over the park. And we rented the canopy, it's called, canopy, that can seat 150 people. And our team came together. I was in training, so I was training. About 20 people came, plus some others from the churches. Nobody came. We started singing and shouting and all this. Nobody was coming into our canopy. We were very disappointed. But then God did something. A lady got really mad at us. She heard us singing about Jesus. So she came with her veiled face and started screaming and shouting. And Christina, who's from Kuwait, among us, 
is a witness. That, am I telling the truth? She started screaming, why are you here? Don't you know we're all Muslims here? Are you coming to convert us? And the police showed up. But who else showed up? Everybody in the park showed up. <laughs> uh, I should have shown you a picture of that. It was a lovely picture. And so we left the canopy. I told the team, why are we here alone? Look at the crowds. And so we went out and I took the microphone and began to preach the gospel for an entire hour. And there was question and answer. And so many people. You were there too, Annie. And then that was Monday. And on Friday, we had more people come and they returned. Those who came Monday, some of them who were interested, returned on Friday. And this morning, I got a report from Jeff Davis that last night, more people came again and they said, we're going to do this every week from now on. Church without walls. <laughs> The scattering, the first event in history for the scattering, that's for you, but may I also tell the others? Yeah, okay. The scattering happened in Genesis 11. And do you know that, that the Bible tells us why that happened? In Acts 17, verse 25, Paul says when he was addressing the, uh, the Greeks, the Greek philosophers, he was telling them this. He says, God made of all people, uh, of, of one man, all peoples of the earth. And he determined for them their geographic locations and their time zones where they may live. And he said in verse 27, he did this that so that men may seek him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. So there is a purpose for the scattering of the nations around the world so that they may be shaken and awakened to their need for God and they would seek Him. Now let me put my challenge here for you. There are seekers in the city, but you're not there to help them to find Jesus. That's what the wake-up call for you today. Let us seek those who are seeking the Lord and bring them, ushering them into the kingdom. And what a joy it will be to fill this church with black and white and red and yellow and green colors, people from all nations and tribes. Third, you want to be the number three? Or <laughs> number three. Now, the Great Commission, the Great Commission is in all over the Bible. It's not only in Matthew 28. In Genesis 12, when God called Abraham, he says, I will bless you and make you a blessing to all peoples of the earth. And then in Isaiah 49, verse 6, something, another wake-up call for us. God had called Isaiah to be a prophet to his people of Israel. And he understood his calling, but he was frustrated because God's people were stubborn and rebellious and they were not listening to him. 
And they had done that to many prophets that God sent to them before and after Isaiah. And in chapter 49, he expressed to God his frustration. And he was depressed and feeling a failure. And then God said to him, you know what? You didn't really understand your calling. I didn't call you just for the Jewish people, for the, for the tribe of Jacob. You thought that. But that's only a means to a bigger end. He says, it is too small a thing for you to restore the tribe of Jacob and bring back Israel to me. I will also make you, say it with me. You don't know the verse, but now you're going to learn it. I will make you a light to the nations so that my salvation will reach the ends of the earth. That was Isaiah's calling, but he forgot it. He thought he was called to his people and just, just stay there. And they're not listening, so he just got frustrated and was negotiating with God. Well, why did you call me God? Why did you do do, do? And God said to him, you have too small a vision. If this church's vision is just this town, that is a small vision. If this church's vision is just the state even, that's too small a vision. The true vision of God today and always has been all peoples of the earth. And I'm so thankful for this church, for sending missionaries like Annie. And you've supported many, many other missionaries like John and Rosa and who else has been on a mission trip or mission field? Who else? Raise your hands. Hi, hi, so we can see you. Praise God. Give them a hand. Hallelujah. So uh, I forgot to trick you, but I'm going to try the trick again. It may not work this time. How many of you are missionaries? Okay, well, the trick is kind of half working. <laughs> every soul in Christ, every person in Christ, every Christian is a missionary. And every soul without Christ, every person, man and woman, without Jesus Christ is a mission field. Do you remember what I just said? Try it. Every Every soul in Christ is a missionary. Every soul without Christ is a mission field. Every How many missionaries do we have here? I haven't convinced you all yet. If you are not acting as a missionary, wake up and realize who you are. Your calling is not to be an engineer or a doctor or a nurse or, or a garbage collector or whatever your job is today, sales, selling soap and stuff. <laughs> your, your first calling is to call the lost back to the fold of Jesus Christ. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them here. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. That's our calling.
So wherever you are, you are a light. Can somebody spot a light bulb that doesn't work here? You have good maintenance crew. <laughs> Many times I see a, a, a bulb that doesn't work. Well, let's assume one of them doesn't work. Just imagine. If a bulb in your house or in your church or anywhere doesn't work, don't send it to India. Don't send it to Indonesia. Don't send it to my country, Lebanon. We have enough trash. <laughs> and if your light is not shining in Grand Rapids, where you live, where you work, where you walk, where you run, then don't go anywhere because you won't be useful. And there are a lot of missionaries today who are not fruitful because they were not fruitful back home. So you are a missionary not to go to some hinterland 10,000 million miles away. Well, actually, there's nothing like that that far, <laughs> except the moon maybe. <laughs> you are a missionary where you are because your character, your identity is light and something else. Come up with it. You're light and salt. I have salt and pepper here. <laughs> you are light and salt and spice. <laughs> to spice this world with Jesus. Do you have the passion to save souls? Then wake up. That's your job. I don't know if I'll ever be invited back here again. <laughs> the Great Commission is twofold. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said when the, to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit falls on you, comes on you, you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, Samaria, and the othermost part of the world. That is what we understand by the Great Commission. We say, go. Go to all nations, preach the gospel, and, uh, and bring the lost sheep back. This is our general understanding of missions. But this is only one prong. We have another prong. The other prong is God brings the world to us. And that's Acts 2. Acts 1, Jesus says, go to all nations. And Acts 2, they didn't go to, to all the nations. God brought the nations to Jerusalem. And there Peter stood up and preached the gospel and people from North Africa, from Asia, from Europe, from the Middle East, including Turkey and all over the area where Jews had come to Jerusalem to worship during Passover. And he preached and 3,000 people from all these nations 17 of them are listed, including Libya, Tunisia, are mentioned there, Turkey, as I said, East, East Europe and uh, Asia, Middle East, came to Christ. That is a lesson for us. Grand Rapids is that Jerusalem where God is sending people here. What are you doing with them? Well, I was in El Salvador last week. And the, I was invited there. I'd never been to Latin America. It's my first trip. And then when I was invited, I said, 
I focus on the Middle East and Muslim world. Why are you inviting me to El Salvador? He said, the president of El Salvador converted to Islam and his brother is the head imam and they are building mosques all over Latin America and Muslims are crowding into Latin America. I said, I'm coming. <laughs> At 120 pastors, pastors. I've never seen in a missions conference 120 pastors. They were anxious to know what to do with Islam. And today, if you go back there, you will see they have changed their mentality from slumbering to waking up, from not knowing what to do to taking charge. Why? Because of this simple principle. Don't see it as an invasion of El Salvador. Don't see it as an invasion of your state or city or neighborhood. See it as God sending the lost sheep to you because you're not going to them. And you still don't get it. Understanding the times means we know why there are people going from country to country to come in contact with Christians. And these lights in the darkness will draw them to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Do you get it? Are you going to do anything about it? Or are you satisfied to come and say, Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and Go tell it on the mountains. Okay, now you sang it. Are you going to do it? <laughs> we, we many times are hypocritical in our songs, in our teachings, in our words. We assume that if we said something like, prayer, we need to pray. Well, do you pray? <laughs> Go tell it on the mountain. Well, are you going to the mountain to tell anybody? Well, which mountain? I don't see many mountains around here. The point is, Jesus said, go, and it's not a suggestion, it's not even a commission, it's an order, it's a command, it's part of your job, and if you don't show up to your work, well, now you can do Zoom, but if you don't even Zoom, if you don't produce, you're going to be fired. Our job is to be light, to the nations. And when you see a Muslim woman covered walking in the street, I'm going to teach you now the secret to her heart. When you see a Muslim man, you probably don't know what he looks like unless he has a beard like mine. I, they call me Salafi or Amish. <laughs> but most people say I'm Abraham Lincoln. I said, yeah, I'm come back to life. <laughs> When you see a Muslim or Bosnian or any, anybody from another country, don't avoid them. 80% statistically of visitors in America, whether they're refugees, immigrants, asylum seekers, businessmen, something, 
are never, never contacted by an American. And they feel lonely, they feel hated, and marginalized. 80%. With international students, I work with international students. We have staff all over the country working with international students. When you see them on the campus, you may say, hi, where are you from? See ya, bye. One lady met somebody and took, she said, can I give you my number so you, we can connect? Oh yeah, I'll take your number. She did not go to class the next day, waiting for that phone call, and didn't come. Well, she went back, but she kept coming back to the house, answering machine, no call. <laughs> So I'm going to teach you that secret word that you need. It's two letters, H and I. Let's practice it together. <laughs> One, two, three. I. Wow, you are now missionaries. You know what to do. You can say hi to somebody and start a relationship, and that may lead people to Jesus Christ, and you will be so happy to go before the throne of God say, Lord, thank you for these children that you've given me. We're coming together, and we're living together with you forever. So what is God doing? Let's show some slides that I, some pictures. Do you have them, brother? You have my pictures? Let's show some pictures. I can't tell you, I've been in 107 countries after being in El Salvador, that's 107. So I can't show you from everything, but let's park this one, stop it for a second. These are Muslim people coming to hear about Jesus. Annie has been in those meetings. We had several of these meetings every week. And Thursday night and Saturday night is our largest gatherings. We've come up sometimes with the Kurdish church to 800 people filling the courtyard. But typically about 200 people come, 300 people, 400 people, 100 people, doesn't matter how many come, but these are all coming seeking to know about Jesus Christ. And a great number of them are receiving Christ. Next picture. I don't know, I'm not looking at the time. How is the time? I'm all right? Five more minutes? 10 minutes? Hallelujah. <laughs> so next picture. Where is it? Here. This is a, let's freeze this one for a minute. This is a 12-year-old girl who's receiving her Bible and a gift because she had memorized 130 verses. She was uh, 12 years old. This is her mother. She is Tamam. Her name is Tamam. She's now 16 years old. This is four years old. And her mother, Amina. Amina was covered, and she's still covered today. Have you met her? Uh, one day, these two came to our um, Cubs to Lions program, from Cubs to Lions. It's a discipleship conference we hold in the mountains, and we have them in Lebanon for three days. In the States, we do a whole week. For three days. Well, her husband was very angry with her for coming to the center, and after a few months, she became a Christian, and now she's dragging her daughter, who's also become a Christian. She's learned 130 verses, and now they left him 
And they went to the mountains for three full days and there's nobody home to cook for me or clean for me. And he was very mad. So Tamam ran to me on a Sunday afternoon after the conference was finished. They're going to get on the bus and go back to their home. She said, Pastor George, please pray for me and my mom. We're so afraid when we go home. Our dad is going to be, my dad is going to be very upset with us. He may beat up my, my, me and my, and my mother. So I prayed for them, and then they left. And I prayed for others, and they left. And on Saturday, less than a week later, they came to that meeting where you saw the big picture with a lot of people. And she ran to me and said, Pastor George, you can't believe it. I said, what? She says, God answered your prayer. I said, what prayer? He said, remember you prayed for my dad? Oh, yeah, I remember. What happened? He said, we came very carefully into the house. And we were so afraid. And my mother was trembling. And he was sitting on the couch. And he looked very angry. And we did not know what to do. And then he said, what did you learn these three days? Sit down and tell me. So Amina was very happy to tell him what she learned in three days. He said, I'm going to go with you to the center next time. <laughs> He's a macho man, you know. He can't be gentle. He has to be really rough. So he came. And he came again. And he came again. And he came again. Two months later, Ibrahim, who is the lead leader, Muslim convert himself, he led him to Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah! They took one minute of my time. So can I extend it? <laughs> so that was September when they came to me and I prayed for them. He received Christ in November. I had gone to America and come back. And I was preaching at the church on Christmas, Christmas Sunday. And there was this woman. Next to her were her husband. Next to her were nine children in church. So I couldn't wait to finish my sermon so I can go and shake his hand. I had never met him. So I did shake his hand and said, what happened? Your wife told me that you, you were angry and all that. And he told me this. He says, when we were in Aleppo, I had a car, I had a business, I had a beautiful home, garden, orchard in front of my home. It was a farm plus other businesses he's done. We were wealthy. We lost everything. And then we came here and the nine children and, her, and, and father and mother, 11 people in one room they rented. One room. I've been there later on. I visited them. Horrible circumstance. Can't imagine how bad it is. He says, I lost everything, so I came here and became bitter. I couldn't find a job, and if I found a job, I got a few dollars here and there to barely be able to pay the rent. And so I was mad at my wife for becoming a Christian, and then she was dragging my children to the center and learning about Jesus. And so I was so angry, I was ready to beat them up when they came back. But they walked in and I saw light in their face. Their faces was bright. 
And I said, there's a secret to this, I need to know. He said, tell me, what did you learn? And he said, everything I have lost was worth it because now I have Jesus who is worth everything to me. Hallelujah. Yes, you can take another minute. This lady, this lady and her daughter are so bold. They brought next picture. Let's see the next picture, what it is. Well, that's our team. We have 98 people working in this work in Lebanon and Jordan and Syria. And this is a staff conference. I don't know if there's one more picture. There was a picture I hoped was there of this Amina in a, in a discipleship group praying together. She has led, so far, 35 members of the extended family, including her sister, brother, and their families to the Lord. Another clap is okay. In the five minutes left I have, because Americans have to be prompt, when I'm in Africa, I go on for five hours and they're still alert. <laughs> anyway, God is moving. That's number four. Who is the fourth? You're the fourth? God is moving in this world. And you probably have never heard that millions of Muslims are leaving Islam. When September 11 hit, I'll tell a very quick story if I can make it quick. In Dearborn, in the, when there was an Arab festival, we have a table, big table. Forgive me, I'm ignoring you. It's for you, this one. About 20-foot table with Bibles and so on. There was an imam who came and wanted the Bible. So I began to talk to him and I asked him, do you know if you're going to heaven? He says, I don't know, only God knows. I said, well... Are you praying and fasting? Do, oh yeah, I do everything I can, and, but I, I, I can't be sure because God decides my faith in the end. So I said, do you drive a car? I said, yeah. Is it insured? Do you pay your bills? And so I said, yeah. I said, if you have an accident, do you think your insurance company will cover you? He said, yeah, sure. Why do you ask? He says, well, it looks like you have confidence in your insurance company, but you have no confidence in God. You're shocked? He went like this, he said, you're right. I said, do you want to know how you can be assured of your salvation? He said, yes. Spend an hour explaining the gospel to him, and right there on the street he received Christ. And so there were three of us talking to him, one from Iraq, another Lebanese and me, and we gathered together to pray for him. And then I said, oh, we forgot to take his phone number. How can we follow up this guy? And then he returns, <laughs> taps me on the shoulder and says, I want to tell you something. When I saw the towers in New York fall, by my own people, that's when I started doubting Islam. That was six years before I met him. He said, for six years now, I've been listening to Christian radio. 
And so God had been there before me because I was surprised. In one hour he receives Christ, Muslim Imam, come on now. <laughs> and he said, I never would imagine that Christians would do this. And so I began to investigate. But he'd never had a Bible, so we gave him a Bible. Now, the reason I tell you this story is that after September 11, the entire Muslim world fell into an identity crisis, into a crisis of, am I really a Muslim? And what does it mean to be a Muslim? Does it mean to kill Jews and Christians? And they found out that their Quran, which they had never read, actually says that. And so there's been a disillusionment in Islam spread all over the world, causing millions of Muslims to not be Muslims anymore. In the park this week, several of them from Yemen told me, I don't believe in Islam anymore. And so the door is open for Jesus to go in. But they need you. They need you. They will not find Jesus on their own. Some people have had dreams of Jesus. And they don't know what to do with it. They know Jesus is calling them, but there's no one to usher them, no one to coach them, nobody to explain the gospel to them. Dreams don't save. Dreams trigger interest. And even you give them a Bible, that doesn't save them because they don't know what to do with the Bible. They read it, they get confused. You need to systematically explain the gospel to them. Now, I was traveling all over the world. And I want to give you a very quick, maybe one minute summary. China has the largest number of Christians in the world, in any country. I was in China, in the Muslim area, and I was surprised. I met three pastors of the underground church. They came to our training. And I asked, tell me about your underground church. How deep is it underground? Three pastors, between them, 90,000 members. That's a little bigger than this church. 90,000. I said, where do you meet? He said, we rent the football stadium, the football soccer stadium, and, uh, and we rent it as a, a youth rally, but it's, and the government knows about it, but they get the money from the rent, and they're just quiet about it. There is persecution, but between 200 and 400 million Chinese are now following Jesus. And these are evangelical Christians, not traditional, because these are converts. About 50 years ago, it was only 10 million. From 10 million to even 100 million is a huge jump. Iran, in 1979, when the revolution started, there were less than 3,000 Christians. Now, the estimate Conservative estimate is 2 million, and it could be up to 5 million. And some Iranian workers say, maybe Iran will be the first nation to return to Christ. Algeria, in 1974, I was in Algeria. There were less than 200 believers. Now 350,000 believers in the Kabyle region. In Kurdistan, 1973, I went to Iraq to translate the Bible into the Kurdish language. There was not one person who could translate the Bible, not one Christian. Now we have tens of thousands of Christians. And this picture, 
of the you and me together with the family. This is a Kurdish family. And we have a lot of Kurds on our staff. God is moving. Can we now trust God that the Muslims in this city, Grand Rapids, have come here so that the people in this church, this is a, the Kurdish family, and he lived with them for a while, and they, they're still in touch. Can we trust the Lord that this church will get involved and you as individuals would wake up. I know the church is awake. They are involved in missions and so on. But what does it concern you as an individual? Each one of us needs to be a living sacrifice and a living stone in God's temple that is active and glorifying God by bearing fruit. Remember the secret? H-I. Let's repeat it again together. One, two, three. Just say hi to them. Don't be afraid of them. And many people who may look veiled, but inside they're empty. They don't believe in God or Islam or anything else, and they need you to fill that emptiness. Let's pray together. Brother Matthew, come over. Why don't you pray for us? Yeah, let's pray together. God, we ask um, humbly that you would let these words and a vision of who Jesus Christ is to enter our hearts and our minds. God, would you capture our imaginations? God, I think of all the people that you've brought right into our backyard, people you love, people you died for, people you care about, people you want to redeem and restore and renew, God. And I just ask for our church that you would stir in people's hearts, that we could be your people, that we could be the words and the feet and the hands of Jesus Christ to those that you dearly love. God, and change us. Be with us. I pray for horizons and I pray a blessing on Pastor Husney that you would just continue to fill him and give him a vision for the world. God, I pray, I thank, thank you for Annie and John and Rosa and how they represent you. And God, we, we just give all this to you, God. We thank you so much today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother.